When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. It's Thursday, and this week we've got a special guest. We've been joined by Dave Billows, the former head of sports science at Everton, subsequently worked at Newcastle and Real Sociedad and over in La Liga. You'll probably recognise him from, um, I'd say, a mainstay of the David Moyes era, always on the pitch, getting a team that was routinely called one of the fittest in the top flight into shape. Um, it's me, Greg O'Keefe, and Dave Prentice, the sports editor, and um, welcome, Dave. Glad you can join us. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. I'd like to know a little bit before we get into the nitty-gritty of the Blues, just how you got into the industry and what your background was. I know you, you played the game yourself. Yeah, well, I played semi-pro for 20 years. Um, and I actually done my coaching badges when I was late 20s. Um, and I'd done a bit of work with, funny enough, Neil Dewsnip and Ray Hall, who ran the academy for yeah. many years. Um, they were the ones who took me on, on, on the... Um, the, the, the badges are done then. It was the uh, the preliminary badge it was called then, which is the UEFA B now. Um, and I coached with them for a while afterwards at sort of the the summer camps and yeah. then a bit on the centre of excellence and that kind of thing. Um, but I'd done it for about two or three years with them and realised it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I was more into the fitness side of things yeah. and I'd been working with a few sort of athletes because when I was playing non-league, I was, I was trying to become get myself to be professional standard and I thought I wasn't quick enough so I went training with local athletic club Liverpool Pembroke um, with their sprinters and what they knew about the bodies was phenomenal they were all amateurs but they were telling me stuff I, I never knew you know I was about 23 22 23 then I was thinking this is fascinating yeah so I started getting into that side of yeah. things and looking into how you improve as an athlete and so I started doing my own little bit of research. You know, the internet wasn't around a few <laughs> yeah. years back. Um, no Google, but, you know, going to libraries and all yeah. that and, and looking at as much as I could. Um, and I was really getting interested in it. So then I took a couple of courses. The, the, the British Amateur Weightlifting Association done a course on how to instruct um, weight, weightlifting, weight training. Um, and then sort of kicked on from there. And when, when I decided I wasn't doing the coaching, I thought I, I want to do um, fitness and conditioning yeah. professionally. So, as I said, I'd done a few few courses and it enabled me to sort of work in gyms and that kind of thing, yeah. but that wasn't what I wanted to do. So, sports science was sort of a new thing on the horizon then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went to John Moore's, because he had my A-levels and all that from previously, um, and I, I thought I'll just go and do a sports science degree. So, I went to John Moore's, done a degree in sports science, came out of there, sort of, you know, full of the joys of spring, uh, applied to all the Northwest clubs, yeah. and I, I think I got two replies... One was from Graeme Soonis, um, where was he then? Blackburn. Blackburn, that's right, yeah. One was from him, one was from Alex Ferguson. And, you know, I thought, all, all the other sort of lesser clubs <laughs> didn't yeah. even respond. Yeah. So I thought, well, at least Alex Ferguson's had the decency to respond. You know, it was thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. And same, same with, uh, with, with Soonis. It was like, the first team don't need one, but you might want to look at the academy. That's okay. So I thought, you know what, I, I, I'd, I'd kept my powder dry. Um, I hadn't applied to Everton because I thought... Neil and Ray might still be there. Yeah. So I went down, went to the academy, um, just knocked on the door, walked in the porter cabin, and, and Neil Dewsnip sitting there. Yeah, porter cabin. That's all I've got. And uh, Neil looks up and he says, "Hi, right, Dave, what are you doing here?" He said, "Hi, right, Neil, I, I'm, I've just qualified as a sports scientist, and I was just wondering if there was any work." And he said, "That's weird." He said, "Because we're just about, we've never had a sports scientist, yeah. we're just about to employ one." So right place, right time. You know, got an interview. Fortunately, got the job. You know, Neil and Ray had worked with them before. Got yeah. on well with them, so I got the job. I was there for three years, and then Moyes came in about halfway through that, and about eighteen months into his tenure, um, from what I can gather, they were happy with the job I was doing at the academy. So they asked me if I wanted to work with the first team, and the rest geography, as they say. Yeah, and um, David Moyes, obviously, you know. That was one of his big things, wasn't it, in getting his players fit. Uh, and like I say, towards you know, one of his, his main things of pride was how they often ran the furthest and 
and, and in terms of individual players, they were, they were mega, mega fit. But was it always like that? Did you have to convince them of, of your worth when you, when you first came in? Yeah, um, it was a case of, OK, he, he appreciated the job at Dundee Academy, but when I moved, moved up to the first team with him, some of his methods and my methods were at odds with each other. Um, and obviously he was the manager, so I had to sort of go with his wishes. But it was my job to try and slowly convince him that you know, changing the methods would improve the fitness and conditioning yeah. of, of the boys. Um, and one of the things he said to me, he said, my teams are always super fit. He said, the problem that I have is they, they start off really well. And then sort of mid-November, they have a dip. He said, and then they'll pick up after Christmas, and then sort of later on they'll have a dip. And I, you know, one of the things I, I sort of highlighted to him was that was because they were working too hard too often. So you can do that, and you can get really good fitness levels, but if you if you try and push and push and push, eventually they will break down. Yeah. So you have to know when and how to push, and it's all about your timing. And his work work ethic was fantastic. It was second to none. And everything he'd done was for the right reasons. But, you know, I was coming in with a sort of a scientific approach. And it took me time to convince him that if we back off at certain times and we put our foot down at certain yeah. times, we'll get the benefits we want, but we'll be able to sustain them through the season. Um, and, you know, such a word, it seemed to work quite well. I, I think he did learn as he went along, Dave. Because I remember I was in the fortunate position. I was the Everton writer back then. And um, I'd seen Howard Kendall's uh, pre-seasons, I'd seen Walter Smith's pre-seasons, yeah. and David's were very different. You know, he used to mm-hmm. take them for a really run first thing in the morning. He actually used to take them for a swim first thing in the morning yeah. in freezing cold water. <laughs> then a little jog, which he let me take part in. Me and him used to like jog right at the very back <laughs> and let all the players like you know just lo- loosen them more than anything. Yeah. And do a couple of sessions during the course of the day. Yeah. But that talk about overtraining them. I always remember when we went out of the uh, the, the FA Cup to Shrewsbury, that horrendous game when Kevin Ratcliffe was in charge of Shrewsbury. Mm-hmm. I think the pitch was really, really heavy. Yeah. And I think David had tried to replicate the conditions mm. by actually training the team on that pitch, on a local school pitch yeah. that was very, very similar. It was either the previous day or might even have been the morning of the match. Mm. And, you know, you can see when they went out later on, you know, they, they were trailing, yeah. they were like, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, you learned from bitter experience and obviously yeah. your input came along after that yeah. as well then. I think maybe you thought, yeah, this guy maybe does have a point. <laughs> you know, maybe we are pushing them too hard. Well, that was the thing. I mean, it was all, he, he never, he always done things for the right, the right reasons. He always wanted to improve the fitness and, and the conditioning. But sometimes he, he was, let's say, um, misinformed. Yeah. You know, he thought by running them harder and harder and harder, you'll get them fitter. Yeah. But, you know, the body is, is an organism that you, you push it hard and then you have to let it recover. Yeah. And when it's recovering, it becomes fitter than it was originally. If you don't let the body recover, it'll just slowly break down. Yeah. And eventually, you know, you'll get injuries or the, the, the fatigue will set in and you just... Like you're saying, yeah. if you train them on the day of a game or the day before and you push them hard, yeah. then you're not going to get much out of them on the game. Oh, the yeah. game. He, he was absolutely intransigent on lots of things. I always remember, again, was it the... Oh, gosh. I can't remember the actual campaign, 2003, four, around about that era, but uh, the players were complaining because uh, the manager had been pushing them too hard. And I think Kevin Campbell was celebrating a birthday and they all wanted to go out on a birthday and he knocked it on the head, no, you can't do it. Yeah. Um, I think my mate Onzi, who was like you know a player then, yeah. and he said, "Ah, oh, God, the gaffer's really pushing us, really pushing us far too hard." Yeah. And so I tried to like tentatively broach the subject with him, <laughs> and uh, I said, "Look, some of the lads are beginning to gripe a little bit that you are pushing them too hard in training." And uh, you know, Kevin Campbell would have been a great opportunity for him to get away, let the hair down a little bit, and he just pinged straight back at me. He goes, "No chance." If he hadn't just been beaten three 0 at Birmingham, and I think it was four three at home to Man United at the same time, yeah. I could have seen the point of view. But no, they're not trying hard. You know, yeah. and he wasn't. He was not having it. Yeah. I think it was. You know, you reward him with performance. <coughs> it reward you by letting you, you know, yeah. let your hair well, down. I mean, and I learned a lot of him through through the, the years as well because there were some of the things he would do, and it would be like a war of attrition. <laughs> and, and I'd say to him, "We don't really need this today," you know. And he'd say, "I'm not worried about the fitness." Yeah. He said, "I'm trying to get to the bottom." Of I want to know when the, when the chips it was a psychological down, who's, who's going to roll the sleeves up when we're in the trenches and who's going to yeah. work hard for me. And I said, yeah, fair point, you know, I, I'll accept that. Yeah. And there was times when that was more important than yeah. sort of working out the fitness of them. And, and there's also, and there always has been, there's, there's a lot of players in a squad that are inherently lazy yeah. 
who don't want to work <laughs> out from yeah. a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I mean, we used to have a thing where every morning the, the lads would come in and we'd say, how do you feel today? How'd, you know, and, and yeah. like now it's sort of, it's evolved into a questionnaire or a little iPad where they, yeah. you know, answer a few questions. In a, on an app. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And it, it, it logs into the central computer and it comes yeah. up on your screen, you know. So, but you, you, you get to find out who are the honest lads yeah. and who, who are the sort of ones who will swing the lead. Because oh, yeah. some lads have come in they might have had three days off, and how do you feel? Oh, I'm knackered. I'm yeah. absolutely. Oh, my legs are stiff. <laughs> and you just ignore them because yeah. you know yeah. they just wanted an easy day. And you know Moise was well aware of all yeah. that. So you know he used to gauge it with his own sort of experience. Yeah. And he'd think, you know, as you said, if if they'd just been mullered at the weekend, he might have thought they, they weren't given enough. Yeah. So we need to work them harder. Yeah. So there was a lot in that, yeah. but. Add, add his experience and knowledge to my scientific approach and hopefully we got it right oh, yeah, more yeah. often than we didn't. Well, that was proved by results. You know, so the first like three or four seasons, it was like the roller coaster, wasn't it? Yeah. There was the good season followed by the bad season. Yeah. And then after, I think it was like three seasons of that, it yeah. then became you know, pretty consistent, sixth, fifth, fifth, sixth, fifth. You know, yeah. So, yeah, you know, clearly it did work. Well, it was funny, sorry, because the first season, he, sort of, he, he just said to me, right, go on, do pre-season. And I was working with an Italian guy called Stefano Moroni, who was a good guy. Um, and we worked it together, but that first season was when we finished fourth in the yeah. Champions League positions, yeah. and it was it was our best ever start. I think we had, I think by Christmas we had something like thirty-two points or something, yeah. which was like unbelievable, you know, yeah. unheard of. And we just hung on towards the end yeah. of the season. We we finished fourth. Um, but the next season it was like okay, great, and he wanted to bring some of his old methods yeah. back in, which you know, fair yeah. enough, we did, but we didn't have the same start. Now it probably wasn't because of that, yeah. but you know. It's, you look at Leicester now, they yeah. won the league last season, this season they've had a poor start. But we were up and down for a few oh, yeah. seasons. And then once we sort of, we got our apples all, you know, yeah. all our ducks in a row, as, as, as it were, um, we tended to be more consistent. I, th- I think psychology plays a huge part there as well, because I remember that quite painfully at uh, the start of that campaign. Because the previous season, Everton had lost the last match 5-1 at Man City, and it was a shameful performance. And I remember going down to Belfield and hearing some of the lads the lazy guys you're talking about yeah. saying that you know so uh, we're going to get battered at the weekend. The manager deserves it. He, you know he's, he's pushing us too hard. Yeah. And so you just thought, oh, oh, something's not going to go well here. Yeah. Anyway, sure enough, Everton was safe, not going to go down. So the flip flops were on. Got beat five one. Yeah. And I wrote a piece. Uh, you mentioned pro- the flip flops, didn't you? Probably yeah. the strongest piece I've ever written. Yeah. And one of the guys actually uh, put the headline on it, taking the pee. You know. So, yeah, yeah. And that, that was the headline. So Stubbsy actually used that as psychology uh, yeah. for the start of the season. Got it all printed out, gave it out to all the lads. This yeah. is what the, you know, the local rag thinks of us. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. how are you going to respond to that? And uh, okay, the problem didn't start great. Then got beat by Arsenal on the opening <laughs> day. Yeah. But then dug in. You know, so one away at Palace. Uh, third, City won there with ten men after Tim Cale got sent off taking his shirt off. Yeah. Uh, and it was almost like a, we'll show you, we'll show you. you know, we are yeah. a good type. Yeah. And yeah. it did. You know, it, that allied to the uh, the fitness work he was introducing. You know, well, that that was the strength of the group. I mean, you know, the the way some of them were lazy. Yeah. Some of them worked exceptionally hard, and and there was, you know, lads in between that. But the big thing that they had was a real sort of um, siege mentality. Yeah. And they were a great, solid group of lads, and they would work hard for each other. And Moyes was w- one of the sort of um, mainstays in that. He would, he would take them on team building and, you yeah. know, and, and get them to work hard as a team for each other. And I think we re- realised that we didn't have the money of the big clubs, so we couldn't go out and cherry-pick the superstars. The players we had were good players, but we had to get the absolute most out of them. Yeah. And we, have to, we, we, we had to work on every player's strengths and weaknesses to maximise their potential on the pitch. And we, at our best, we would have... There was no superstars in the team, but every player would give you a 7 or an 8 out of 10, yeah. week in, week out. You know, and that's, you get a lot of these teams where they do have superstars, mm-hmm. they'll give you a 10 out of 10 one yeah. week. And then it's a four out of ten for six or seven weeks. Yeah. Spot on, and that, that leads me to the perfect. Maybe you know, I'll see what you think. But um, the squads were usually very small, so you're always being forced to get the most out of the smallest amount. But yeah. again, someone who, who to David's credit, he went and identified from Millwall, Tim Cale. Yeah. Um, perhaps then not someone who'd come and, and blow you away with his technical ability in some aspects. You know, with both his feet, but. It, the leap on him so yeah. I guess what I'd be interested to know from you, from you is what did you do to develop him as a player because he was what 5'9 yeah but he beat centre backs your mm-hmm. height twice his, his height in the air well his what leap was, like? was unbelievable yeah it was unbe- and he was driven you know 
Tim came over from Australia. He said to his mum and dad at 16, he said, I want to be a professional footballer and I can't do it here. He said, I'm off to England. And he packed his bags and he just went, he arranged his own, um, his own trials. And it, it wasn't at Millwall, it was somewhere else. It might have been Luton or somewhere like that. But he got, got over here a couple of weeks beforehand and he thought, well, I'm not waiting round. So we got in touch with Millwall. He said, I've got a trial at, it might have been Luton. He said, but, you know, can I come and have a trial with you? And he, he thought, fair enough, kid. Yeah, if you come all that way, we'll, give you, we'll yeah. have a look at you. Yeah. And he went and had a trial with them and they signed him. He never ended up going to the other team, yeah. whichever it was. Yeah. So he was well driven. He came to us and he said, look, he was like all starry eyes, you know. He yeah. said, I've come from Millwall. He said, I'm delighted to be here. Whatever it takes for me to... to you know, to make it at this level, you tell me what I need. And he was a fantastic lad to have. And he just had natural physical ability, but he was he was like the Tasmanian devil we used to call him. Because <laughs> he just had so much heart, you know, he, yeah. he would he would go into tackles, he wasn't scared of anything, he would work so hard. And before every single game we'd be in the changing room at, at Goodison and the gaffer used to line them up and he'd have a last talk to them mm. and he'd be standing in line and you've been in the changing rooms, haven't you, Dave? The ceiling's about eight yeah, foot yeah. high. He used to jump just in the line and his head had hit the, the false ceiling. <laughs> Honestly, he'd do two jumps before he'd go out and he'd, he'd move the tiles. The only person I knew who used to be able to do that was Mick Lyons because uh, he was massive. Yeah, he'd a bit yeah, of a kicker. Like, yeah. like polystyrene. Like, That's right, like yeah. Like yeah. most false ceilings yeah, with polystyrene tiles. And he, would, he was five foot nine and his head would hit yeah. the ceiling at eight foot. He was <laughs> unbelievable with his yeah. knee. Had he worked in the Aussie Institute of Sport because they started to get into plyometrics around that time, mm. didn't they? And, you know, how you can box jumps and stuff yeah. like that people listening might be familiar with them and well he was already over here um, they, they came to prevalence in oh, sort so of the 2000 Olympics right, yeah. wasn't it in Sydney and everyone said how oh, are they doing so well and everyone looked at the Australian Institute of Sport yeah. and they were doing some great things but he'd already left he, right. he was over here so he, did, he didn't work with them he had natural ability and obviously it was our job then to sort of capitalise on that yeah. and maximise it um, but I, I think we probably gave him 4 or 5% yeah. 95% was already yeah. in him, you know what I mean? And he was just, he was one of them, he had, he had a knack of time in his runs, right? Yeah. He would just arrive in the box. At the, and we used to laugh at him. He'd get the ball, like, he'd receive the ball and be someone he could put through on goal, but he wouldn't do it. He'd play the ball wide so, he could get so that he could get in the box. He would always do it, yeah. you know, the guy could be in front of him yeah. and he'd think, no, it's going wide. Yeah. He'd play it out wide and he'd get in the box, but when he come in, he was there to finish yeah. it, you know? And uh, he was brilliant at it, but he was great for Everton. No surprise I mean? to see him still playing, obviously back in the A-League now, but at 36, yeah. going on 37, no surprise. Yeah, uh, you know, he'll play till he's 40, maybe even longer, because he's over in Australia, he's yeah. capable of doing that, because if he keeps himself fit, which I know he will, um, he's certainly good enough to, to, to sort of play out there to 41, 42. Did you, you see know? his goal for Melbourne? It was week? unbelievable. Wasn't it? <laughs> I think it was a miss hit, actually. <laughs> but it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it was. But, I mean, going back to, to that, saying you know about David Moyes bringing him in, David Moyes was fantastic in the transfer market. Oh, yeah. When you look yeah. at the plays he brought yeah. in, you know, Tim was obviously a prime example. You've got Stephen Pienaar, I think we played 2.2 2 million for him. Yeah. Uh, Mikel Arteta, oh, 2 million for him. Yeah. Uh, Jolian Lescott, you know, all these yeah. players that came on to do fantastically well for us. There was one or two that didn't, but the majority of them were, were great players for us for a long time. You know, even the Yak came in, scored 20 odd goals in his first season. Then when he brought, um, what's his name from Rangers uh, up front? The. Croatian lad. Oh, Jelovic. Jelovic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so when he brought Jelovic in, he scored 11 goals between yeah. Christmas and the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. It was great for us. Yeah. Didn't work the following season for yeah, him, yeah. but that season well, he was. That, that's what always annoyed me that uh, he was unfairly, I thought, given that reputation, dithered in Davy because, you know, he couldn't make his mind up here in the transfer yeah. market. And yeah. people inside the club actually levelled that at him sometimes. And to me, it wasn't dithering. He wanted to know absolutely everything about yeah. that player, yeah. not just couldn't on afford the pitch. to take risks. Exactly, but yeah. off yeah. the pitch as well. Yeah. He wanted to know whether his character would work in the dressing room with the other characters he had there. Yeah. And so we spent longer than other managers. I mean, yeah. Walter would take a punt on a player. He'd say, oh, yeah, yeah OK, we'll have a go. Back of Yoko, four and a half million, it might work. It didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Olivier Decord, that did work. Yeah. You know, but... David wouldn't do that. No, I agree. And I think Dylan was the wrong. I think diligent yeah. was more yeah. the, the, the appropriate yeah. word because yeah. he did his homework, you know what I mean? Yeah. He did his due di diligence. And I think he watched the only Lescott 22, 23 times. Yeah. But when he, because there was problems with his knees, That's right, yeah. you know, and it was like, is he going to be able to, to, to mm -hmm. last the season in the Premier League? But when he took him, 
he knew the problems he had and we nurtured them. Yeah. You know, so we wouldn't train as much as the other lads and he wouldn't train so a bit like uh, McGrath for United yeah. when he was playing. When he played for us he was tremendous. So it was just about getting him ready to play every Saturday. Also, so, it was the the era of tailored approaches, I suppose. People would have their own plan. You wouldn't yeah. work everyone exactly the same. Exactly, yeah, and that's that's one of the things that I, I, I said to the gaffer, you know. We need to look at each player individually. You'll find little pockets of players, so there'll be groups of players. So once they're over 30, they need, you know, they need to work hard, possibly harder than the others, but they need more time to recover. Yeah. So once a week, they'll have a blast, and then the next couple of days, yeah. they'll have you know, a day off or a recovery day, and, and while the others can do more work. Um, the young boys are still developing physically, so we need to focus on you know, their strength and power development. And the other lads, we can sort of look at their individual strengths and weaknesses and work on them. And he was great at that, you know. He was like, "Yeah, let's let's whatever the lads need, that's what they've got." And you know, that's that was the whole point of bringing someone like mm. me in to to work out what the individual needs and requirements were, and then maximise the, the the potential on the pitch. Ronald Koeman's hinted at that now, hasn't he? He talks about Gareth Barry, for example, who you know so doesn't do the same kind of you know work like exactly. someone like Ross Barkley yeah. would do, yeah. Uh, yeah. because you know obviously his body needs longer to recover. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you know it, it just makes sense. And Ronald seems like he's switched on, and yeah. it's, you know he seems to be heading in the right direction. He's you know for all intents and purposes, he, he seems a really good manager. Yeah. So. What. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of one. You probably get fired at you all the time over the, the pub conversations, but who would you spring to mind as, as the most natural athlete that, that when you're at Everton? I'm thinking people, you know, is the people like Kale or Distan or, you know... Well, they're I all mean, professional athletes, yeah. aren't they? But who really stood out amongst, amongst them? Well, this Sylvan, big Sylvan, he was, he was perfect for me because he would come in the gym and he would do all the strength and power work and... You know, he was 37 years of age when I left, and he was still as fit and as powerful as anybody in that squad. But probably the most natural, I would say, it's got to be Leighton Baines because he just—he's got it in abundance. You know, he's quick, he's agile, mm. he's a fantastic footballer, he's mm. intelligent, and he was diligent as well. He'd mm. come in and he'd do all his training, he'd come in at the gym afterwards, and he'd, he'd do all the stuff that it takes. You know, and for me, while we were there, while I was there. He was the best left back in Europe for five years. Comfortably. Yeah. yeah. He had more assists, you know, his free kicks, the goals he scored yeah. himself. It was unbelievable. Um, the now, best left back I've seen at the club, and I'm getting on a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he was, he was yeah, a yeah, fabulous player, yeah. but a great athlete as well. You know, strong, and, wasn't he? Uh, Very strong. <clears throat> well, when he first came from Wigan, he was quite slight, <clears throat> and he understood that. He knew that he had to make himself more powerful and stronger. So he'd come in the gym and he'd do his work and, and whatever it took, he would get himself. I think he put a, a few kilos on over, over two or three years. He might have put four or five kilos in, in muscle mass on. But it was all in the right areas, you know. He didn't go into bodybuilding. On his like, legs. Yeah, exactly. His <laughs> legs are, are, are massive. And um, we used to do the speed and agility tests on him and he was like one of the fastest. There was, I think, over 10 metres, he was the fastest and over 30 metres, he was the second fastest out of all we worked okay. with, you know. It was quite interesting when uh, he first came to the club. I was told that Duncan was that Duncan Ferguson was always one of the absolute, you know, sort of top yeah. performers in training. Yeah. Certainly middle distance running, you know, so he was yeah. right at the top. And uh, and then when Walter arrived at the club, he started getting more into his weight training. Yeah. And he actually put on creatine for a while, and they had to take him off it because he said he was turning into a bodybuilder. Yes. He was absolutely yeah, yeah. huge, and obviously you want athletic build, yeah. but obviously you know injuries took the toll on his body, and yeah. he couldn't do you know what he wanted to do. Well, that's the thing you know, with so. Duncan. He said to me. Um, he was out injured for a good while yeah. and all he could do was go in the gym so yeah. he got in and started lifting weights yeah. and he said he went up to like 15 stone <laughs> he said and it was all over body because he couldn't yeah. work his legs hard yeah. and he said when he come back he yeah. said I was knocking people over for fun he said yeah. but I couldn't run yeah. <laughs> he said, so I had to lose the weight and yeah. get down to it so he did realise you yeah. know what I mean yeah. 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 but uh, he, was, he was great Duncan because he was good with the banter yeah. and you know when anyone come in the gym he said you won't outlift me son you know yeah. come on let's see what you can do what can you bench yeah. and so he, he was good fun but uh, he, he knew that he'd sort of he'd done it to, to the extreme when he was injured yeah. and when he come back he had to just get himself exactly, back yeah. into shape for, yeah. the, for football you Clever know to do it. What, yeah. what about Wayne would you have worked with Wayne at the I start? worked with Wayne funny enough it's like, it's like Wayne's always been trying to avoid me <laughs> I started working at the academy he was 14 just going on to 15 so I worked with him for a short while but he got moved up from, from the, four, right, the yeah, under 14s yeah. to the under 18s you know very quickly as you did yeah. Yeah. Uh, four <laughs> yeah. years up to age yeah group. exactly he got moved yeah. up very quickly and then the year later I moved up with the under 18s I was only working with the 16s down in the first team the next, next year I was working with the 18s down 
worked with him for about two weeks in pre-season and he went with the first team, you know, <laughs> he was 16 then or 15 yeah. or 16, he went with the first team and then a year later when I moved up with the first team, he'd gone, he'd gone off to Man United, yeah. so it's, it's like he's always trying to avoid me. So I have worked with him, I've done some testing with him in, in the early yeah. days and all that and the thing with Wayne, um, in the group he was in, he was about third quickest in the straight sprints, yeah. but when we'd done the agility tests, he was miles ahead of everyone. Yeah. Because he never lost any speed. He's that powerful. When he changes direction, he doesn't lose speed. Yeah. He's got enough strength and power in his legs to change direction without slowing down. Yeah. You know, most lads, certainly the younger lads, they'd lose a lot of speed in the corners yeah. when they're having to, to slow down and push off. But he just had that balance and power. And it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw him do this mad little trick on air preseason. Him and Kevin McLeod, who was yeah. uh, like his mate at the time. And they used to stand in the centre circle of a pitch and the goal would be in the distance. Yeah. And they'd throw a ball up and they'd try and right hook it, try oh, yeah. and punch it and connect it <laughs> and try and punch it into the goal. Yeah. He, he could do it. Uh, you know, A, it takes great time to be yeah. able to do that. And yeah. strength. I tried it and he broke me first. Yeah. <laughs> well, it also was boxing background. Yeah. You know, his brothers, yeah. they were all into boxing. Yeah. But I always say Wayne is a natural athlete. If he'd have gone and played rugby, he'd yeah. have been a professional rugby player. Yeah. You know, if he'd have gone into something else, yeah. you know, golf, cricket, he'd have been a professional. Yeah. He just got that natural ability of hand-eye coordination, yeah. whatever it is. Because the things he was doing at 14, honestly, training sessions had stopped and everyone had just watched the game yeah. he was playing in. And, and the first day he was with the first team, he was 16 years of age. And it was, it was at uh, Netherton, you know, the old uh, Littlewoods yeah. place there. And we, like, we were training, the, the, the under-18s were training there and that. So... We're just watching the first team train and we have a, a little look. And there's a game going on and he gets the ball. I think I think I'm right in saying he nutmeg Davy Weir. <laughs> he put it round one side of Stubbs, he ran round the other one, uh, and then he chipped um Neville Southall. Oh you don't do that. From about thirty <laughs> yards. Yeah. And I thought in my head I'm thinking, that's yeah. brilliant. But yeah. I thought, you're gonna get the crap kicked out of the next time <laughs> you get don't the ball. Neville, yeah. Yeah. And to be fair to yeah. Stubbs and Davy, yeah. they just went he had a smile on their face. And he sort of went, okay, we'll have that. Yeah. But you know, normally when someone does that oh, to a serious, yeah, senior, yeah. Oh, you get the crap kicked out of yeah, him, you know. Yeah. But, but they were having it, and they, they, they were. I, I actually happy. told the story this week in print for the first time because Colin Colin Arby always like swore me not not to put it in the paper. And um, 17 years have gone since then. But he was 14, and uh, we used to go down and just you know get a little positive report from Colin on how the under 19s had got on yeah. the previous weekend. And he'd oh yeah, we got beat three one lads. And so right, who scored? Oh, uh, Wayne Rooney. I said, oh, I don't know that name, Wayne Rooney. Well, no, you wouldn't. He's 14. I said, 14? He's coming on for the under-19s. Yeah. And he just took a step back and he went really quiet. And he goes, you know what? He's like a, like a young Dalgleish, but quicker of thought and quicker across the ground. Yeah. And my jaw just dropped. I can't <laughs> realise what he'd said. And he yeah. goes, don't put that in your head. <laughs> but, you know, it's praise it was, indeed, isn't I mean, it? Because Colin was sparing with yeah. his praise. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, when he meant yeah. it, he meant it. And, oh, you know, clearly there was something special. People, people were all stuck by him constantly, yeah. you know. I mean, when he was in the Youth Cup, he was he was in the first team squad, but they, they allowed him to play in the youth cup. The year yeah. he, he got to the final, yeah. and uh, he got beat by Aston Villa in the That's final. Right, yeah, yeah. But in the semis, he played Spurs. Spurs. Oh, yeah. the goal at Spurs, and it's a free yeah. kick thirty yards out, uh -huh. and he's hit it, and it's hit the wall, yeah. and come back, and as it's come back, he's shaping to to volley it, yeah. and in your mind you're going, don't dare try and volley uh -huh. that, and he's volleyed it right into the top <laughs> corner, yeah. and everyone's just gone, wow. Uh -huh. I think it was Pat Jennings yeah. was sitting next to me. He's gone, who's this kid? Yeah. I said, his name's Wayne Rooney and you're going to remember him. <laughs> I, I always remember Walter actually saying to me, that's the kid that will save me my job uh, because he'd taken him down to Southampton at the end of the previous season uh, only as a squad member, didn't get on. Yeah. He would have become the youngest player in the club's history if he'd come on. Yeah. But then the Young England team took him, I think Young England under 18, so oh, he couldn't play again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. obviously Walter got the sack then and uh, it was uh, David that came in and David benefited yeah. from him you know, since yeah, yeah. 2002 when he made his debut. Difficult yeah. to say, I know, because you, you, know, you, don't, you don't work with him now, but um, and cards on the table, I'm a massive Wayne Rooney fan. I, I yeah. hope that it's more a blip in form and that his legs haven't gone now. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's being accused of him, isn't it? That, you know, basically the accumulative miles on his clock because he played so much football yeah, yeah. at a high level at an age when other lads were playing in much younger levels yeah. that he's somehow gone. But uh, what do you make of that? I don't agree at all. Um, you say a lot of players do burn out, but they normally, the sort of lifespan is like four or five years in the Premier League because it is so intense. He's been doing it for 12, 13 years yeah. now at the top level. And yeah. I can't believe, you know, you get at the last England game, was fans booing him. Yeah. They're just idiots. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like 
what he has done, he's now the record goal scorer for England. England record goal scorer, yeah. You know, beating, yeah. beating yeah. Bobby Charlton, beating any any player that's played for the for yeah. the country. He scored more goals for them. Okay, he's had, he's had a dip in form. He's had a couple of poor games, but the media make more out of it. That's about you know, football football so actually, focused yeah, on, yeah. and yeah. he's had a blip. Yeah. He'll come back. You know, you can't say better than ever because he's thirty-two days. See, but. He's maintained and sustained his, his levels of performance for 12, 13 years at the top level, and he's still capable of doing it. I mean, you know when Wayne goes out on the pitch, he will give you 100% every single time he, he walks out, and there's not many top-level professionals who you can say that. Mm. Now, whatever position he's asked to play in, he doesn't sulk, he just goes and plays. Yeah. And I'm sure once he... I don't think he let it get to him because he's had it for that many years. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And what I think once he, his form comes back, you know... And, and the funny thing is, the media now start saying, "Oh, you know, it's, it's a resurrection. He's <laughs> yeah, come back, yeah. and he'll all be behind him." Yeah, as yeah. soon as he, you know, if he make, makes one bad pass, they're all over yeah. him. You know, and it's, I just think it's unfair. Yeah. And the people who are booing him at the England game, I think they're idiots. You know, yeah. I just think it's a disgrace. 100%. We had a debate the other day on. It, it was on the website really about whether he, we'd not whether we'd like to whether we think he'll end up back at Everton, but yeah. I'd, I think it'd be each level lot to offer if oh, he could massively. Yeah, I, I, mean, I took the opposite tack largely because I think Ross Barkley would be the position he'd be taking, and mm. I think Ross is the future. I think yeah. he's like the, the coming player, if you like. Yeah. Whereas Wayne, he's not going to get any better than, than he has been now. Yeah. And there's also that. You know, he turned Emerson, well, he left Emerson when he was at his absolute peak. Yeah. And there's that little bit of resentment that still lingers. Yeah. And I just think it would only take two or three below par performances for, like yeah. you just mentioned, the fans yeah. to turn them. See, I, I think the problem with that is, I, I agree with you that he left in, in acrimonious circumstances, but I think he was a, he was a baby. Yeah. And he was ill advised by agents. Yes. The, you know, the, 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 the agents, agents had an awful lot to do with that. Exactly. Yeah. The agents advised yeah. him. I think it's more bad advice that he's yeah. took, you know what I mean? And I think if you come back, I think he'd be beneficial for the club. I, I take what you're yeah. saying 100. percent I don't. I hope he wouldn't take Ross's place because Ross is the future, and Ross, you know, yeah. is, is after his last game again looks like he's coming back on form. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, he could be there for another 10 or 12 years. Fantastic footballer. But I still think Wayne would have something to offer. You know what I mean? You you play him in a number 10 role behind Lukaku. You know, the number of things he'd set up for Lukaku yeah, would be phenomenal. Yeah, you know, I'd like to see. Yeah. What about uh, again in terms of moving on further into your time under, under David? You know, they they were regularly in Europe, weren't they? Mm. It was uh, fantastic. It was something that would happen more often than not. Yeah. Um, how ta how taxing was that for you? Because you'd have you know Europa League campaign or mm. UEFA Cup at the start yeah. with silly amounts of games, especially in the Europa League, two cup competitions and the league. Yeah. And obviously a manager so driven and intense, he wouldn't really want to accept anything but second best. Yeah. You must have put a lot of pressure on likes of you, Steve Tashjan and, and Danny Donachy, of, of course, who you worked uh, yeah. you worked alongside. Was it some days just crazy amounts of um, well, work and pressure? No, it's funny because it did. It put a lot of pressure on the squad <clears throat> and on everybody involved with the squad, but I absolutely loved it. I loved the European tours, like the fans, yeah, yeah, yeah. because you'd be going to places you'd never go to, and you'd right, see yeah. cultures you'd never see, and you're playing teams, you know, that you... When you're a kid, you're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, going to these places. Yeah. And you're following, you know, whenever, whenever we're in, in Europe in the 80s, you know, and, and it hadn't happened since then. And, yeah, yeah. like, the fans were, were loving it. I remember Nuremberg was one of the best <laughs> ever. Yeah. You know, we were there and the fans were in the, 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 the squares. and They got onto where the hotel was straight away. Yeah, exactly. They? But, no you chance. know, they were getting photographs taken with the police. The police were dead friendly. Yeah. It was a really nice atmosphere. And once they found out where the hotel was, David Moyes was trying to do his team talk. <laughs> we were in a room, or sort of above, above the, the the reception, and we just heard all this noise. What's that? Phil Neville went to the window. He said, "Look at this." He said, "There was about two thousand fans outside singing and yeah. chanting, and we couldn't do the meeting." But to be fair, Phil actually he got all the lads to the window, and he said, "He said I've been at Man United for fifteen years or whatever. I've never seen anything like that." Wow. He said it was unbelievable. Okay, that's um, it. That's really oh, interesting. It was, yeah, it was praise indeed. And we went. I think we won the game. Was, was it one nil? Yeah. It was. You know, it was a close game, but it was a fantastic night. And we had lots of nights like that. You yeah. know, we had disappointments. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was great experience for the players as well. The problem was when we came back home, we then had you know an important Premier League game, or yeah. you know the yeah. next week there was a League Cup game, an FA Cup game, whatever it was. So it is taxing on um, on the squad. However. I think in recent years we found out as well, it's not not even the size of the squad. Yeah. 
because you want to play your best players as often as possible. Well, Leicester last season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think the intensity of the Premier League is the things that causes problem, right? Or problems for, for for English teams in Europe. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Spanish sides have been dominating yeah. for the last five or six years. I went over. I was fortunate enough to go over to La Liga with David Moyes and, and, and Real Sociedad, and what I, I my eyes were opened. La Liga um, is nice football, but the intensity is very, very low. Yeah. Um, they'll stand off you and let you play. Back, and yeah, and yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll only try and take the ball off you in the last third. Yeah. You know, they'll let you approach and let you pass it round, and they're not going to close you down. And Barcelona do that, but they've got you know ridiculous players, and, and they do it at such such a level. They win the ball back in your final third, yeah. and they're straight in on your goal. Yeah. But you've got Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and maybe... Um, Villarreal but below that the, the standard isn't great and I don't want to disrespect any of the teams but what I'm saying is the top teams who are playing in Europe they'll have 12, 14 hard games in a season yeah, yeah, yeah. and the rest of them they're winning 5 and 6 nil, yep. and they're comfortable games yeah. so when it gets to the latter stages of European competition they're still fresh you know you're talking about um, February, March now the teams in the Premier League they're all exhausted because they played hard games every single week. And in between them games, they're playing cup games. Yeah. You know, League Cup, FA Cup. Mm-hmm. And when they play a lower league side, them teams are going hell for leather yeah. to prove that they're good enough to play in yeah, the exactly. yeah. So you never get an easy game. You know what I mean? So when we get to the latter stages, I think it's more the, the, the Spanish teams, certainly, and, and other foreign teams are fresher than yeah. we are because we don't have a mid-season break. And we, we have high intensity. And I, I wouldn't change it because it's it's much more exciting. Yeah. But I think it's not so much the squad. I think it's more the, the, the intensity of the league that causes the problems. Yeah, well, I think most people would, would agree with that. And I think whatever you look at it, even the national team, it has an effect. But you mentioned there, didn't you, about you know, the, the ups and the downs. And there were some times when it felt like Everton were always the ne- nearly men, didn't it? You know, obviously there was the... 2009 final Chelsea and you know, personally speaking as a blue I wasn't doing this job then but went down there with the lads and you, you know, you're devastated afterwards and then yeah. 2012 semi-final you know, with the back pass and Suarez and stuff like that yeah, yeah. do you learn a lot about the characters that, you work, that you, you're working with day to day during times like that? Yeah of course you do I mean you, you learn more from them in, in, in defeat than you do in success yeah. you know, or in failure than in success um, and it's the ones who will say okay we're not happy with that, but we're not going to let it happen again. We'll roll our sleeves up and we'll go again yeah. and we'll fight again, you know. And I think you can say the nearly men, and, and it's right, but we were so close on so many occasions and the, the only thing we lacked really was a goal scorer. Yeah. Because there was times in the last three or four seasons I was there, I left in 2013, we would play some fantastic football. Tremendous. Yeah. Really would play some good football. You know, the, the, the midfield we had was unbelievable. And... We would play and play and play. We'd get into the last third. We'd create so many chances. Yeah. But we couldn't put the ball in the right. net. Yeah. Now, you just think, if Romelu Lukaku was up front in one of them teams and he scored 25 goals, 20, 28 goals in a season, yeah. we, we wouldn't get beaten in the cup final. Or we may not get beaten in the cup final. We may get to the final. You know, We, yeah. we may just get into the top yeah, four rather exactly. than the top six. Yeah. And then things make a big difference because then the revenue that's coming in is, is, is in, increased. Yeah. Then you can go out and get different players. But I think we just lacked a goal scorer. And, you know, that's obviously that's the, the sort of magic piece of the jigsaw, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's why, you know, teams will play 60, 70, 80 million pounds for the goal scorer. Yeah. But if we'd have had a goal scorer, I think we'd have done... We wouldn't be the nearly men. We'd be talking about no. successes rather than near misses, you Precisely. Know? And obviously in, in 09, you know, we had... Someone who had been amongst the best goal scorers, but unfortunately, as circumstances was financially, and we had Luis Saha who yeah. got us all dreaming very early <laughs> in the game. Yeah. But um, I want to ask you about Saha because I believe I remember speaking to lads back then as well. And in training, the, the king uh, mm. did, did watch, stop and watch. He was one yeah. of them where he was that good. What was it like managing him physically? Because it, you know, accumulative problems that he had yeah. to kind of get over to need, in order to be on the pitch playing. Yeah. Well, it was very difficult because. You knew the talent Louis had. Louis had an unbelievable talent. And there was days on the trainer pitch, you just beggars belief the things that he would do. 
and you just say, is he, have I just seen that? Did he really do that? You know, he was, he was fantastic. <clears throat> the problem was he was coming towards the end of his career. Yeah. And he became, he was fragile in that things that were innocuous to other players yeah. would cause him an injury. I was like, How, how's that happened? You haven't done anything. Yeah. But his body was just breaking down. Right. And it was probably through the, the workload he'd put it through in the previous years, you know, yeah. and, and he, he was working, at, you know, playing for Man United and that. He was like working at the top level and playing all these Champions League games or whatever it was. It just took its toll on yeah. him. So it was really difficult um, getting them fit to go out and play on the pitch. Yeah. When you could get them out there, you know you get something out of them. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, you were getting, say, out of 50 games a season, you might get them for 12, 15 yeah. games. Yeah. And, you know, for someone of his ability, that was great, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. And even in, sort of, in the cup final, you know, you mentioned he scored after 25 seconds. That's right, yeah. And we all jumped yeah, up yeah, and yeah. overjoyed. This and, is then, it. and then we all went, there's still 90 minutes to go. What yeah. are we going to do now? Yeah. But to be fair, we were unlucky because you know, we, had, we had a chance. I think it was at 1 all. We had a chance to go 2 1 up. And I think it was Louis ahead And he just missed. And they went down the other end five minutes later. Right. And Lampard yeah. scored, didn't he? And once they got ahead, it was sort of shut up shop, you know. Wouldn't it just be Lampard? He loves scoring. Yeah. Interest, didn't he? <laughs> well, again, without, um, without betraying too many confidences, uh, who, who would the more. Or who was the more challenging over the years? Who you would really have to earn your call? <laughs> Can you say any names? Or is it a bit too uh, unprofessional to drop. Um, there's no one that really stands out because everyone's had the moments, and they're all they're all good lads. They're a really good bunch of lads. Um, probably probably the most frustrating are the ones who who have the ability, but don't want to push themselves. Well, uh, you know. All right then. What about that? What about Royston Drenthe? What was he like to work with? Because well, he jumped into my mind because. I can I can say him because he wasn't really part of the group. He, he came, never quite became part no, of the group. Did he, he came in and and the the group were, were fantastic. He would always accept anyone to come in and yeah. he would make them welcome and he you know he'd make them feel at home. Do everything he could to sort of make them part of it. But Royston consistently sort of bucked the trend and didn't <laughs> want to be part of it. You know, right? Okay. And he you know he was he was a fantastic footballer, but a poor professional. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, he would turn up to training late. Yeah. Um, when he was, when he was there training, he was a great player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he for Real Madrid. For well, exactly. He was a gifted lad. But what we what you find with hindsight is Mourinho doesn't release or allow <laughs> great players go out on loan no. if there's not if they're not flawed in some way. Yeah. You know, and his flaw was that he loved to party. Yeah. You know, he used to have an entourage of, of um, friends that come with him to training every yeah. single day. And for the first couple of weeks, they're all standing on the touchline watching, and it was like the Royston's Renfrew show. You know, yeah, yeah. he'd, he'd not make someone, ole, and you know, he'd be doing all these yeah. little tricks. And after a couple of weeks, like the first few days, the lads were like, all right, yeah, we'll allow it. You know, because whoever signs, they bring the family to look at the surroundings. And, but then towards the end of the second week, it was like, are you still here? Yeah, yeah. And Phil Neville had to go up to the manager and say, Gaffer, what's going on? And he said, I've told him, but he's still up. So yeah. they had to. St- Make him stop bringing these people yeah. in. But at the end of after the game on a Saturday, he'd fly back out to Rotterdam, and he'd be there all weekend partying with his friends, and then he'd back Monday morning. So, listen, he scored some good goals for us. Yeah. And he would have been in the, the semi-final you're talking about against yeah. Liverpool. He would have been a great asset to us. Yeah. But he let himself he'd down massively a couple of couple of days yeah. before that, and he upset the, the manager so much that the manager just said. You're not, you're not involved. It was. I always remember at the time. I think you, um, you probably were the man behind it. You had a contract with Maxi Muscle to do yeah. the nutrition, all yeah. your recovery drinks and what have you. And that's what you'd be used to seeing. All top pros, you know, you'd see them after training. They'd be having a recovery yeah. shake, getting the right amount of nutrients, protein. Yeah. So it's why it really caught my eye when I saw uh, Royston before a game, necking in quick succession two cans of Common Garden Red Bull, and I remember thinking. That can't be right. If yeah, that's yeah. if he's because it wasn't he wasn't doing it surreptitiously. Yeah, yeah. But none of the lads were around. None, none of yourselves around. Yeah. I'm thinking, I don't think he'd be sanctioning that yeah, if he yeah, knew exactly. he was doing this because exactly. he invariably what goes up comes down. He surely yeah. if he's going to play for 20 minutes where he had wings, yeah, they'd soon <laughs> fizzle off. Well, we did. I mean, some of the lads did like the Red Bull initially, and we we tried to sort of wean them off it um, <laughs> for, for that very reason. It gave them a boost initially, and then you know they, they did the floor. So, you know, we, we started trying to give them more nutritious and more um, beneficial yeah. um, supplements before the games yeah. in terms of, you know, we'd give them sort of energy drinks, but yeah. they weren't sort of 
all so so much based on sugar yeah. and, and sort of Taurine so-called neural like, yeah, yeah, stimulants, yeah. neurological stimulants. Um, so we would give them s- stuff that, that would have a small amount of protein, a decent amount of carbs, and they would have some caffeine in. But yeah. it'd be you know the, the best base. Some of them we we'd even give caffeine tablets, right? Um, because it increases alertness. But what we used to say to the lads is don't drink any caffeine a couple of days before the game. Yeah. Because if you do, then it'll it'll um, dull the, the response that you get from taking caffeine before the game. Yeah. Um, some of the lads took it and felt it was good for them. Some of the lads took it and didn't feel right. So yeah. you know, yeah. and we'd always do that in training before and yeah. to find so out what the response was. Yeah. yeah. But the likes of Red Bull and that, yeah, some of the lads did drink it, but it, we. We wouldn't stop them from drinking that kind of thing, but we would encourage them to drink the more beneficial <laughs> yeah. drinks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and there was there was other things. It was more about the day before rather than half an hour before, you know what I yeah. mean? Um, what you eat and drank the day before and the yeah. morning of the game kind yeah. of thing. Um, and unfortunately, you could preach to them and make sure they were doing the right things at the stadium or at the training ground. But once they left, you know, you, you can't sort it's of police isn't it? what, yeah. what, what they yeah. can go and eat. Um, and to be fair, over the years, again, most of them initially they thought, well, there's not much in, in this nutritional yeah, lot. Yeah. You know, it's you know I can go and have a, have a big man yeah, or whatever, yeah. and I'll be the same. And it was a case of trial and error. Once we got them to eat the right stuff and realise, you know what, I felt better then. Yeah. Actually, I had more in my legs towards the end of the game. Then they'd start to be converts, and then they'd come for more and more. And unfortunately, Royston was only in for a short period of time. Yeah. And we never got to convert them. Well, yeah. Because he, he didn't want to be converted, you know. Yeah, and he didn't have enough time to yeah, drum the message in. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure if he'd have stayed, we, we'd have got around, yeah. to, you know, around and convinced him he was doing the wrong things. But, you know, that, that takes all sorts. Yeah. I mean, Seamus Coleman's an example of the other side of the coin because yeah, yeah. I remember speaking to him once and just mentioning, oh, such and such, and did, did you have a drink? I think it was a family occasion. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me like I had two heads. And I think he would probably be the generation that wouldn't even occur to him to put alcohol near his lips. Yeah. He probably would, to a T, follow the often quite detailed nutrition plans they'd get yeah. post-season and things like that. Yeah. And then you only look at the natural conclusion. Um, I about Sami and Azri turning yeah. up for pre-season and being told by Pep Guardiola that, you know, you're, you're fat, yeah. go home and don't come back. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, Seamus is a perfect example. He's a great professional. He's a great guy. He used to, you know, he used to come in someone's and say, Dave, I, I, he said, I have to pinch myself sometimes. He said, I was six months ago, I was playing for Sligo Rovers. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. said, you know, now I'm playing in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. And he, he had that kind of, you know, real humble mentality. And he just, he would work as hard as he needed to be and do everything that was right to get where he is, you know. And, and he's been an absolute sensation for Everton, you yeah. know. Um, and you couldn't wish it on a nicer lad. He really is a nice kid. And, He's worked so hard. He's got natural talent, obviously, but he's just he developed as a footballer That's year it. on year on year. Yeah. And uh, he was one of them. You know, if I'd say go and go and hang upside down from that tree for the next two hours, he'd just do it. Yeah. He wouldn't ask why. He'd just do yeah. it. You know. Yeah, yeah. And there was constantly the ones saying, "What's this for? Why am I doing this? What's this going to help help me with?" You know. And I don't mind uh, if they're asking. That's fine. I'll explain it to them. Yeah. And once they, they get an explanation that they're happy with, they go, "Okay, I'll tell you." Yeah, fair enough. He wouldn't ask for the explanation, he'd do no, it. No, he'd just do it, yeah. yeah. And John Stones was exactly the same. Yeah. John Stones, when we, when we signed him from Barnsley, he came in to me, he said, Hi, Dave, my name's John Stones. He said, just signed. He said, um, I'm in your hands. Whatever I need to do to, to make it into the first team, he said, that's what I'll do. He said, if I'm here till five, six o'clock every night, it doesn't matter. And I thought, you'll do for me, son. Tremendous. You know I mean? Oh, yeah. brilliant attitude. Yeah. And look where he's ended up, you know. Well, precisely. And, yeah. and he's still yeah. growing as, yeah. as a player, you know. Yeah. Let me take you to... Summer 2013, obviously you've had this amazing decade and more when you've seen the club transform in, in many ways. Uh, it's latter-day fortunes mm. um, and you've been a key part of that progress. It comes to a point where you leave, a uh, new manager comes in, David obviously gone to United and, and Roberto Martinez comes in with his own men. Um, you went, uh, subsequently ends up working at Newcastle. Yeah. But I guess I'll say it more than anything else, if you look at Martinez's tenure, they had a great first season uh, and it went downhill after that. Mm. One accusation that was levelled at the players was that they were never as fit as they were under Moyes. Um, and I think Koeman has come in and, and, and more or less said the same yeah. in very stark ways. You know, He said yeah. that I think they were not even 70% fit when he wanted to start the season. Yeah. What did you? Was it difficult watching that from afar? You know, something that every manager's different, but something that you've done a lot of hard work to build up. Changing? Yeah, 
It was it was interesting um, because obviously, <laughs> I mean, one one of the things that we we were, I mean, it's nice of you to say so. But one of the things that we were sort of renowned for was being able to grind results out and go yep. till the ninety fifth minute, ninety sixth yep. minute, and still have the legs. You know, the number of games we won in, in the last sort of ten minutes was it was up there with the best in the league. Yeah. Um, and then it became quite the opposite with Everton. The number of games he lost in, in the, the first season, they were phenomenal. And I think the beauty of Martinez over David Moyes was David Moyes had a real solid group of players that were in great condition and were very disciplined. Yeah. And the, David Moyes, he's a great manager, but he's probably what you would say he's quite conservative. Yeah. In his football and style. Yeah. You know, so he goes out there. Let's go out there and let's make sure we're solid, so we don't get beat. Yeah. If we get, if if they don't score, we don't lose the game. Then we look to try and win the game yeah. from there. Yeah, yeah. Roberto yeah. Martinez's philosophy is let's just go and win the game. Yeah. Now, as time went on, it it appeared that it was like, let's win the game and not worry about what's going on. Do you yeah. end, You know, it's going to score goals. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. So what he did, he inherited a really good, solid squad of players, really good footballers in great condition, with a great work ethic. And he took the shackles off them yeah. and allowed them to play. So for the first six, eight months of that season, they were on fire. They were flying. But I think hindsight's a wonderful thing. Towards the end of that season, he started to dip. You know, That's he right, didn't yeah. finish as strongly yeah, yeah. as he started. Well, they're on the, right on the coattails, the top four, really. Yeah, exactly. Until the last, you know, the last yeah. couple of months, and then he just faded away. They finished fifth, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, you know, there was talk of seventy-two points. They did well. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a fantastic season. But I think the reason he faded at the end was, I know now, talking to the boys, that the training methods weren't as intense. They weren't training as hard. So the fitness actually uh, wavered towards the end of the season. Yeah. So they couldn't perform as well as they had been earlier on because they were, they were running out of legs right. towards the end of games. Right, yeah, yeah. And at the end of a hard season as well. Yeah. So that's probably why the second and third season was more... Um, Martinez's blueprint on the teams right, and yeah. they still played nice football yeah. but they just didn't have the fitness to, to do the job that was required of them you know? yeah. and that's speaking to the lads quite a few of them were saying they weren't training hard enough you know, they didn't feel they were training hard yeah. enough and it's no, it's no coincidence I mean I think in the three seasons Martinez was in charge they had 54 hamstring injuries well this is what another thing I wanted to mention to you it became more than just a coincidence, it became something that was very clearly a problem. And during that yeah. time, you had, you know, you'd already gone, Sash had gone, um, Danny Donaghy left. Yeah. But these hamstring injuries keep coming up and up and up. What, what can you see any insight well, in that? Well, listen, everyone's going to get the odd one. And yeah. Whenever well, you get an injury, you look into it, you, you look back at what the player's done the previous week, two weeks, three weeks. Is there something we could have done differently? Is there something we've done that's, that's brought this on? Yeah. Um, so when it's, ha- it's happening time and again, you think, well, it's got to be something we're doing. It's got to yeah. be something that we are doing. Um, and, and you try and work it out. Yeah. It seemed, from talking to the boys and from what I, you know, all the information I gathered, they just weren't training hard enough. Yeah. So when they get into a Premier League game, yeah. which is as hard as you're ever going to work, <laughs> yeah. by the 60th, 70th minute, He'd run out of gas. Yeah. So you know yourself when you're running you're in any any sport or any game, you're running on empty. Yeah. You're fatigued. Yeah. Your muscles start to cramp up. If you then got to move ballistically, you know, a flat out sprint. Yeah. In the 75th minute of the game, and you're absolutely shattered, you're gonna pull a muscle. And that's, you know, listen, I've got no proof whatsoever of this. But my take on it, my experienced eye is saying. They weren't fit enough to last 90 minutes in the game yeah. and that's why they were pulling the hamstrings yeah. so often. Yeah. And so therefore, you'd say at some point, we need to look at that and say, right, well, we need to get them fitter. But it didn't happen. You know, for whatever reason, yeah. it didn't happen and, and it just kept happening. And as, you, as we were chatting before we started recording, that's not fit enough to, to run around at mid-pace. The key difference is, in Premier League, in the 90th minute, you're still required to sprint, maybe your, your maximum sprint yeah. time. Yeah, of course. Over, it might be five or ten yards but if your muscles are in fatigue, post-fatigue, yeah. that's when you're going to start picking up injuries, unless is, yeah. you're conditioned otherwise. Yeah, you need to be conditioned to work hard for 100 minutes, you know, so that in the 95th, 96th minute, someone plays a ball over the top, yeah. you know, you're a centre-forward, you want to get onto it and score yeah. the winner, or if you're a defender, you want to get back before the attacker and Precisely, make the tackle. Yeah, yeah. So you're, going to go, you're not going to jog, you're going to go flat out. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you haven't got time to think, oh, I'm tired here, I better not run flat out. You just go for it. Yeah. So, you know, if your muscles are, are empty, then something's going to give. 
and unfortunately, you know, it happened time and time again. So frustrating times from far, but you're by then at, uh, at St James's Park, a new yeah. challenge, a yeah. different, totally different club, different environment. Yeah. Well, how did you end up going up, going up there? Well, when I first was uh, when I first finished at Everton, um, it was so close to the start of the, the pre-season That's right, yeah. that I didn't have time to go and find another job. Yeah. I phoned everyone I knew, and you know, everything was all the job positions were filled. Fortunately, a friend of mine was working for the FA. He was the head of sports science at the FA. And he said, I've got some work here. Yeah. And um, it was working with the under-18s. Okay. So yeah. it was like, you know, every month, you know, 10 days a month kind of thing working. Yeah. So I went and done that for a year. And um, it was fantastic. Because yeah. you work with the best sort of 17, 18-year-olds yeah, yeah. in the country. Yeah. Fantastic footballers. And they're all dead keen. Because yeah. when you're at a club, you know, you'll get superstars at a club. And some of them will sort of stroll around like they own the place and don't want to work hard and... Don't get me wrong, there's lots that do want to work hard, yeah, but yeah, there's a few. Yeah. When they turn up for England, there's none of that. Right. Because they're on the best behaviour, because if yeah. they don't do the right thing, they won't get asked back. They're out of the comfort zone, they yeah. need to. So they're all, yeah what, yeah, what do we need to do? Yeah, okay, do this, do that, take this, drink, yeah. take that. And it was brilliant, it was, it, was, it was refreshing, really enjoyed it. But at the end of that season, I got offered a job up at Newcastle. Yeah. So I went there, worked at Newcastle. That was great for a while, and then. Um, it sort of went a bit pear-shaped. Once Pardew left and went to Crystal Palace, um, I wasn't enjoying it, so I had to get out. Okay. Then sort of the job for the England first team came up, yeah. applied for it, got, got offered the job, went and worked, done a few internationals with um, Hodgson, yeah. and it was great. But then Moyes was asking me to go to Spain. Yeah. He said, look, I'm out here in Sociedad. You know, we've been out half a season. That's right, was, yeah. He said, I want yeah. you to come and do pre-season for me. And obviously I'd worked with him, respected him, yeah, enjoyed yeah. working with yeah. him. The England first team was there, and it was like it was it was a, a real difficult. It's difficult it is a difficult yeah. one, that, isn't it? But he said, "Come and do pre-season." There was nothing between. I, I'd done the, the internationals against Ireland and against I think it was Lithuania, and um, we drew against Ireland, beat Lithuania, yeah. and then there was nothing till September. Yeah. So he said, "Come and do pre-season." So I went, "Yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm not busy. I'll go out and do it." And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So he said, just come in and work with me. Yeah. So I said to the England people, thanks very much, but I'm off. And uh, unfortunately, as you said, Heinz, it's a wonderful thing. Four or five months later, he, he was sacked. This so is it. I'm having two fantastic jobs, so I have no job. Um, so the England thing was great. It yeah. was brilliant, you know, and a different environment where everyone's sort of, you know, you got the senior pros working with the first team who've been there, like Wayne. Yeah. And... Uh, Say um, Cahill and you know Joe Hart, yeah, great guys, great professionals, and then you got the young lads or young boys coming through, yeah, like Deli Ali, Eric Dan, and Dead Keen, and yeah, yeah, and it, it's a great environment, and and, and obviously the, the standard of football in training that is is right up there, yeah, and it was brilliant, it was brilliant, so I really enjoyed it, but. It was just a bit short-lived. Oh, but nonetheless, the pinnacle of any anyone who works in football's career, really, whether it's on the playing side or not, yeah, um, it must have been fascinating. Roy, was he like to work with Roy? A really nice guy. Yeah, really nice guy. I don't think uh, anyone questions that, do they? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's very, a... very sort of knowledgeable. Yeah, very knowledgeable. Un- understood the, the game inside out, um, and it was just he had a great record in the qualifiers. But it just didn't work for him in the tournament. Well, he's, not the but then he's not the only one, as you said. It's, it's not worked for a lot of managers in the tournaments, has it? This so. is it. And I know, again, I know you're not working at the club now, but what do you make outside looking in, albeit it's not really on the outside, I don't think you could be with Everton, <laughs> but with Koeman, how he's come in. And we just mentioned earlier, we referred to how he yeah. made a big thing about the fitness when he, he yeah. headed to the squad. And I think whether he's playing games with them, he said, look, you're not even 7% fit when we started the season. Yeah. Do you think he's getting back to dare I say Moyes kind of ethos? Yeah, I think I think um, I think he's a very good signer for the club, and I think the lads are really liking it because they like the fact that they've got a boss. You know what I mean? David Moyes was a boss. Yeah. And Ronald Coombs seems the same. He's quite a strict taskmaster. Yeah. If you don't do things the way he wants, then you're not get, you're not yeah. involved. Yeah. So you know what he wants, he gets. And you know these guys are all superstars, all multimillionaires, but they need a leader. Yeah, you know, and I think he's doing that. I think yeah. he's sort of saying, "Well, you know, you do it my way, or you're not going to be involved." Yeah. And so far, it's bearing fruit. You know, he's, he's had a great start, a little blip, but yeah. then he, he had a good win at the weekend. So hopefully, it'll kick on from there. And I think what he done at Southampton, I think if he can if he can emulate that here at a bigger club and a better club, then you know, they, they should go on to be European football regularly. Tremendous. 
you do a lot of work now. Obviously, you, I believe I'll let, you know you can tell better than I. But you do uh, you independently set up now. Yeah, you do a lot of work with Tony Bellew. Yeah, um, Aussie Hibbert. A lot of athletes who come to you want to carry on their work in, in yeah. post season. But tell me a little bit about your friendship with, with Tony and with Leon. Well, it's funny because obviously um, with Tony, I, I was working at Everton. He's a mad Evertonian. And it must be seven, eight years ago now. I think the chairman had got onto the fact that you know he was a big Everton. He come in dressed, you know, to, to his fights with with Zed cars on, with the, the Everton crest and all that. So he invited him down to the training yeah, ground. Yeah, yeah. So Tony came down and he was all starry eyed. You know, yeah, yeah. wanted to play football all his life. Wanted to play for Everton. And he's walking around meeting all his heroes. He tells us he was a top player. You know? That's what he tells us. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a good liar. He's absolutely useless. But he's. Uh, he come in and he was all, you know, meeting everyone and he come in and, and introduced himself and he said, uh, is it okay if I use the facilities occasionally? I said, yeah, yeah by all means, no yeah. problem. As long as, you know, uh, the chairman that's happy with it, I've got no problem. Yeah. So he was finally coming, he'd use the ice bath and that. Yeah. yeah. And he'd done that for a, f- a couple of months and then he come to me and said, look, he said, you know, I'm, I'm sort of moving up to another level. I'm wondering if you'd give me some ideas about to train and what I need to do. Yeah. I said, yeah, no problem. So he used to come into Finch Farm three times a week once the players had gone but the way Tony is he'd get there before they'd left so he could have a bit of banter with them yeah, yeah, and yeah, then once they'd yeah. gone he'd train with me you know and so he stuck up good friendships with a lot of them um, and obviously as his career's blossomed um, they, they've become uh, in, in awe of him as well as yeah. much as he is of them That's right. yeah. um, because a lot of the lads they love boxing you know when I was there Big Sylvan um, Tim Howard Tony Hibbert who's a good boxer you know they used to, I used to take them on the pads now and again just for something different and yeah, they loved it yeah. but they were exhausted you know we do like six oh, minute rounds on the pads from anything and they were wiped out goose, yeah, and yeah. Sylvan used to say how does he do it how does he do this for 12 rounds so yeah but it's the same way the other way round if he yeah. come and play football with you after five minutes he'd be wiped out yeah, it's yeah. all relative to the sport you do yeah. um, so they, they were in awe of what he was doing and he was in awe of them um, and then it just from then on it's just the friendship blossomed and, and I've, you know, he stuck with me. I've stuck with him, and we just worked together now for the last seven eight years. Same with Aussie and Hibbo. You get, you when you're working with people, sort of every single day for ten years. Yeah. You, you build a bond, you know. Yeah. So I've started up my own business there, um, because the last three years since I left Evan, I've been, I've been up to Newcastle, away with England, <laughs> over yeah. to Spain. I went up to Scotland with with Stubbsy and Hibbs. Oh right, okay. The, at the end yeah. of last season, yeah. Fantastic. Won won the Scottish Cup. Yeah, that was yeah. brilliant. And then this season, I, th- I thought, you know what? I need to be based at home. Yeah. Because I've been all over the place. Yeah. Your family here. Exactly. And football's fantastic. But when you're in it, it's full on for 10 months. Mm. And you basically, you don't, don't get a chance to breathe. Yeah. You know, th- if you get a day off, everything you need to do around the house is piled up so much that you haven't got a day off. You, you're happy to go you back to work. Spend your day washing up and hoovering. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and painting this and doing that and taking the car to get saved or whatever it is. So it's, it is full on. So I thought I'll just start my own business, and it's it's the same thing, doing exactly the same stuff, but um, I'm in control, you know. And I, basically, all the lads have worked a lot of contacts, yeah. so I'm still working with Tony, Ozzy and Ibo, and now without a club, and they've said, right, you know, we'll come and work with you if you're yeah. happy with that. Great. Um, Luke Garber's doing a little bit with Luke. He's yeah. at Wigan on loan. He wants to get himself in the best condition so yeah. he can get back into the Everton team. So you know, that's what you want to hear. Isn't exactly, it? he's yeah. doing all the right things. He's desperate, you know, to, to play for Everton. Yeah. So he, he, he wants to be the best he can be. A couple of young lads who've just been released by clubs. Um, Luke Dolby, who's at Everton as, as a young lad, yeah. his brother Josh, um, who's just been released by Liverpool. But um, MMA fighters, okay, um, all different athletes work with some hurdlers, sprinters, high jumpers. So anyone who, who's Motocross sort of, you've worked with. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, MotoGP riders. So any, any, any athlete who wants to improve the performance and get to the next level, um, even the guys at the top level who want to stay there. So I, I'm working with them. And I've got my own private facility, so I'll do that. But Where's that? Well, it's, it's in North Liverpool. Yeah. It's only a small facility, but it's very well equipped and it's, it's private. And that's the beauty of it, you know, don't have to take these guys into a public gym yeah. where they're getting pestered. They can come, have the privacy, have 100% attention from yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One-on-one sessions where it's, it's you know, it's top-class sessions and no one's going to interrupt them. They get it done and then they go off home. So it's uh, touch wood so far. It's, it's building slowly, but it's working well, yeah. you know. And uh, Tony's done really well. He's won the world championship and he's retained it. Yeah. So, you know, 
just keep going, keep going. Is that a nice challenge for you to expand from being involved, like plugged solely into football to broaden your own horizons in, in the... Because, I mean, you never stop learning, do you? I know you don't. Yeah. You can look at boxes, and you've, you said it yourself, it's so different from football. Yeah. So likewise, rugby players, uh, MMA, I would imagine, difference again. Yes, yeah. Well, the beauty is, I mean, as a sports scientist, you're not, you're not tied into one sport. What, what my job is, is to look at any sport, analyse the sport, OK, what are the physical attributes and qualities needed to excel at that sport? Yeah. I then break it down into, into its component parts and say, how can I work in, with individual body parts or individual attributes to enhance them? And then when you put, the, put it all back together, that person, that individual, is better at that particular sport. Yeah. So, for example, MotoGP, the guy come to me, he said, OK, I'm at this level, I'm just, just trying to break into the top level, yeah. um, but I just need to a little bit more, just yeah. give me an edge. And I, I'm thinking, OK, so you just sit on a bike, really, and just ride around the track. Yeah. And I'm talking to him, OK, tell me what kind of thing you, you need that you, you'll feel. And he said, well, when you're on, on a bike, the bike weighs half a tonne, and you're heading into a corner at 170, 180 miles an hour. Right. He said, I've got to lean into that corner. I've got to control that bike. The bike wants to keep going in a straight line because of the laws of physics. Yeah. He said, so I'm wrestling with this beast that weighs half a tonne. I've got to try and get it into that corner yeah. under control. Yeah. Get out of that corner without losing as little speed as possible, and then accelerate while I'm controlling that bike. Okay. He said that the, the pressure on on your core and your shoulders and your arms is immense. Yeah. And then open my eye, I'm thinking, yeah, that's that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. You know, I thought you just sit there and drive. Yeah. You, know, you, you ride the bike. So I had to devise exercises that would help him in in these areas. And what we did for him, he was loving it, and and he he started getting from just missing the podium to get on the podium to win in races and kick on from there you know and, yeah. and it's that kind of thing that, that my job is to analyse it and improve you as an athlete in whatever sport and touch wood I've been successful in quite a few different sports so far Tremendous Well David it's been an absolute pleasure having you been fascinating to listen to you speak I wish you every success I'm sure all the Blues have been listening do too and uh, hopefully see you around good listening again in the future It's my pleasure thanks very much Greg 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 my pleasure, thanks very much, Greg.